Our reading from God's Holy Word this morning comes from Titus, the second chapter, beginning in verse 11. This is God's Word. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father, we would ask now by your spirit that you would come and speak to us clearly and powerfully from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Might these words today, which you are speaking to us, be received by each and every heart in this room as a personal divine word and in just the manner and way in which we need to hear it. For that to happen, we're going to need your Holy Spirit, for he alone is the true illuminator of your word and the true teacher and preacher this morning. Would you come and would you grant him in such a great measure that each of us would find his power inescapable today? And the word that you have spoken to us to train us and transform us in godliness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we said just as we were beginning our service today, last week, we spent some time in the first 10 verses of Titus chapter 2. And in those verses, we... Gaining instruction from the voice of the Apostle Paul, mentoring this uh, young pastor in the faith by the name of Titus, who's serving in uh, this little, well, big, actually, island, Greek island in the Mediterranean, but this little outpost, a little church that's been uh, founded there in Crete. He's teaching him actually what to teach, which is, wow, such a blessing to a young minister to have someone come alongside him and say, hey, here's really what you ought to be communicating. And we said last week that um, we could summarize that teaching with the word sound doctrine. Um, If you were to look back at Titus chapter 1, you would see that. He says, but as for you, speaking to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And that's what what he's wanting uh, Titus to teach. And And then he goes on and he says... Here's how I want you to teach it. I want you to teach it with your lips. I want you to speak it. Um, But I also want you to live it. I want want it to be your life. It's a a living kind of instruction to God's people. So so I want you to teach sound doctrine, but I want you to do it with your lips. I want you to do it with your life. And, And I want you to be universal and comprehensive in the people to whom you speak it. I want you to speak it to all ages and stages. You'll remember if you were with us last week, he said... 
he, we went kind of section by section. He says, for older men, I say this. For younger men, I say that. For older women, I say this. For younger women, I say that. I want you to speak to every age and stage. I want you to speak comprehensively to the body of Christ, sound doctrine with your lips and with your life. Why? So that you'll adorn the gospel. Uh, literally, you'll beautify the gospel. That, that the gospel will become increasingly compelling to those who see your life. They'll say, if that gospel, if that message did that kind of powerful change in that person's life, I need to look into it. I need to consider it. Um, I, I need to understand its truth claims. I need to understand the nature of its, of its call and of its power. That it should adorn the gospel uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about, about all of that instruction is he, is he gives it you can do all of those things. In other words, you, you can teach sound doctrine. You can receive sound doctrine. Um, you, can, you can, with your lips, speak it. With your life, speak to display character um, and all of what the, the Scripture calls us to. You can, you can have good works, which people see, and, and it be uh, a testimony, so to speak, to, to the Lord, at least externally speaking. But you can do it from a heart or from an energy or a strength or a power, interestingly, that is not ultimately of the Lord. You can actually do all the good things that you're called to do in the faith and do them from a sinful place. Do them from the flesh. That's the words of the Apostle Paul. In the text that he tells us here, he actually now begins to say, here's what undergirds and around about always should be about your teaching and your living of the Christian life. You've got to understand how grace trains you. You've got to understand how grace trains you in the growth of the Christian life. That's really what we're going to spend time on today is what does it mean for grace to, to train you. Did you notice that in the, the language of verse 11 and 12? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And here's what grace does. It trains us. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace trains us. How does grace train us? That's really what we want to understand. How does it, tell, how does it help us say no to ungodliness and worldly passions? How does it train us to do that? And how does it train us to say yes to, to self-control, to, to, um, to righteousness, to godliness? How does grace do that? And I think if I were to just simply ask you the question, how does grace train you? You might find yourself wanting to go to practices. You might say, well, grace trains us. You know, we're trained in reading the Bible. We're trained in, in going to church. Right? You might go to practices. Practices are essential. They're absolutely necessary. The power's not in the practice. You know, Pharisees did all those things. Pharisees did all those things. There's this very interesting article I was citing this week with some students. It's written by Eugene Peterson many years ago. The name of the article is called Caveat Lector. In the Latin, it, it just means reader beware. In the article, the article unfolds the people in history, various people, occult leaders, um, heretics, and so forth, who have read the Bible to their destruction. We don't think of it that way, do we? But you could read the Bible and, like, miss it. 
Like totally misunderstand it, totally misappropriate it to your destruction. It's happening all around us. What, what would be different? How would grace in relationship to the disciplines actually train us in godliness and not lead us to a place of destruction? How would that work? That's really what we want to look at today. Now, now to do that, I want you to see the structure of this passage. Really what we're going we're gonna to do is we're going to ask the question, how does grace train us? And we're going to look at, at three ways, and I'll, I'll give you those. Um, it, grace trains us in learning how to say no. He uses the word renounce or tonight. Learn to say no to the wrong things. And grace trains us by learning to say yes to the right things. And grace trains us by giving us a vision of hope for the future. That's really what it does. It's going to do all three of those things. But, but to say it that way is not particularly helpful because <laughs> we need to get into the, how that functions, like how that actually works. And that's really what we're going to try to do today. It's going to require some, some teaching to kind of understand what that, that means. But I want you to understand the structure of the passage first. So I want you to actually look with me at this passage. If you'll, you'll notice it, actually, there's a little bit of a, of a mirroring. The word appearing happens twice in this passage. Notice, it, notice in verse 11 it happens. For the grace of God has appeared. There it is. And then, and then notice in verse um, 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing. The appearing of the glory of God, our Savior. Now what's all that a, about? Well, there's a grace appearing and there's a glory appearing. And the grace appearing that's mentioned here in verse 11 is the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His first advent. He says, grace has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And, and that's an interesting way, way to put it because he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about Christ appearing in that it's, it's bringing, he's beginning salvation to the world. He's bringing it to the world. And he calls it the grace of God. We sometimes speak of grace and we think of it almost like a food that we eat or a drink that we drink. I got to go get some grace. Like it's a thing. I want you to see here it's a person. It's a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with him. It's not something you, you, you eat or consume or get or stockpile or, or resource. It's not how grace is. Grace it comes in and through your union with the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of God appeared. It came in the form of the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It appeared. And what did this appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ do? It brought salvation to all people. That's what it did. And then notice in verse 13, there's a glory appearing. And here, here's the glory appearing. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're living for. That's what we can't wait for Jesus' return. This is the second advent. This is when Jesus comes back. This is the completion of all that he's begun. So he tells us in the first advent, we have the beginning of the salvation that is for all people. That's the gracious appearing. But the second appearing is a glorious appearing. And this is the completion of salvation where Jesus will come as a king, right? Riding on the white horse, coming into the great white throne uh, judgment. In between the grace coming and the glory coming is the grace training, Right Between verse 11 and verse 13 is verse 12. And in verse 12, he says, the grace that appeared to you is going to train you until the day that the glory appears. Okay, There's a training that's going on. 
what that training is, if we're going to put a doctrinal label on it, we'd call that sanctification. That you're, you're growing more into the likeness of the one in whom has saved you and whose appearing you long for in glory. You're growing more into his likeness. And the way that you grow more into his likeness is by grace. Grace is that which, which trains you. Now, what does it mean for grace to train you? It's a question we really want to answer because I think, it, I think when you, if you really look at your life, and I want you to do some evaluation of your life as we walk through this, this text, that's not how we usually think of grace. Let, let me suggest to you, and you check me on this, we think that grace is what forgives us. That's the forgiving. We need grace when? When we've done something wrong. And that's true. You remember, you remember two weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, we talked about false teaching? Some of you will remember that. We talked about false teaching. And we said one of the things that, that, that false teaching typically does is it gets something right, and it very often takes that something right, and it takes it as if it's a whole truth, and it becomes an extreme. This can happen in our... This is one of the reasons we don't grow is that we think grace is really about forgiveness. And that's partly right. But it's not wholly right. Grace is also about change. It's about the power to grow. It, it's, about, it's about sanctification. And here's how we tend to think of it. Again, check yourself. I've done something wrong. I need to go to the Lord for grace. He forgives me. Praise the Lord. Now, what does he tell me to do? Okay, let me get to work again. That's how we tend to think of it. We go to the law, and we say, what do I need to do? All right, I'm going to try to do it. All right, I messed up again. I need grace again. But we don't think of needing grace for the obedience. We think of needing the grace for the forgiveness. And we need it for both. Need it for both. That's what he's telling us here. Grace trains you. Grace actually trains you. And when we when we realize that, we, we realize that the the law, which we sometimes look to to actually help us grow, has a role, but it's not usually the role we're looking to it for. Okay? The law is good. Paul, the apostle Paul tells us the law is good. He says that in Romans chapter 7, verse 12. It's really useful. The law is super useful, isn't it? Like it teaches us um, what God commands of us. It teaches us God's character. It gives us instruction. It gives us, it gives us guidance. It tells us consequences for when we do things that are, that are wrong. The law does all kinds of things like that. There are many purposes, good purposes of the law. What's the problem with the law? Well, in a word, there's nothing wrong with the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with us. There's something wrong in us. And the, and the problem is we're sinners and we can't do the law on our own strength and in our own ability. And very often we look to the law to sort of change us into law keepers. <laughs> we'll look to the law and we'll say, we'll say to ourselves, I, I, the law tells me to do this, now I'm going to go try to do it. And then we find ourselves not being able to do it. 
And we think to ourselves, why can't I do what the law tells me to do? Because the law doesn't give you the power to do what it tells you to do. The law doesn't give you the power to do what it is that it tells you to do. It tells you what to do, but it doesn't give you the power to do what it is that it tells you to do. The law, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, is weak. It's weak. Now, it's not weak because there's something wrong with it. It's weak because of us, because of our sin. It's weakened, it says, by the flesh. And so we can't just look at the law and say to ourselves, okay, now I'm going to do what it says. We need grace to train us. We need grace to, to transform us. Think of it this law. Think of, think of it this way. Christopher Ash. I think it was Christopher Ash who said, who said this. He said, um, you know, you can have a good law that makes uh, divorce hard to come by in life. You know, so that it keeps people generally together. You have a good law that sort of protects marriages and makes divorce difficult. You know what the law can't do? Make you love your spouse. You, you, can have a, you can have a good law that discourages you from murder, right? Some of you have been discouraged from murder in your, in your life. You've thought, I'm going to kill this person. You've thought that, and then you thought, that would go really poorly if I did that. That's not going to go well. And you think of the laws, and you go, yeah, I'm discouraged. I'm not going to do that. You know what the law can't do, though, is help you love your neighbor. It doesn't have the power to do that. It doesn't have the power to change your heart. And this is why the Apostle Paul says here, you need grace training. The whole of the Christian life is going back to grace training. And this is why we, we need the grace of the Lord to, to train us. So how does, that, how does that work? Well, this word for train that's here in uh, Titus chapter 2 is a word that we, is most often associated with raising a child. It's, it's a word that sometimes is translated in positive ways and sometimes is translated in negative ways because training is sometimes positive and training is, is sometimes negative. Different ways in which this word is translated in the New Testament is teach. Okay? That's positive. Um, instruct, it's positive. Educate, that's positive. Other ways it's translated correct. That's negative. Rebuke, that's That's negative. Even punish. This word is alternately translated in a variety of ways. And you think to yourself, well, why is this word translated so broadly? Well, do you know what it takes to train a child? It takes all those words. It takes all those ideas. It takes, it takes a parent saying, not this way. Rebuke, correct, punish. This way, teach, instruct, guide right? It takes the whole kid and caboodle. It takes, it takes all training. It takes stop action. Don't do that anymore. And it says start action. Start doing this. We, we need all of that. And he says grace actually does this. And notice the structure. He says it causes us to renounce and to live. Notice that's negative and positive. And he says the best really word, I think, probably to maybe capture this is the idea of discipline. It's the idea of discipline. Now, when you, hear, when you hear the word discipline, you tend to go negative, right? Don't, don't you in your mind? You, t you tend to go like, yeah, my parents disciplined me. And you don't mean positive things by that. You, you mean that they put me in my room for time out. They took away my, my phone. They utilized corporal punishment. 
You, you think ne- stop action, negative things. But, but we often use the word discipline in positive ways, and the Bible uses the, the word discipline in positive ways. You think of this, like when you, when, if you're in the, in the discipline of carpentry, if you're in the discipline of carpentry, it means that you're studying and learning about the nature of wood and tools and skills and strategies from which to move in a positive direction for construction, right? We refer to that. What are you studying in school? What discipline are you studying? What subject are you giving yourself to? What are you being trained in? Now, if you're being trained in the discipline of carpentry, there are ways that you could use the saw that could cut off a finger, like you shouldn't do it. Stop it. Don't do it. And there are positive ways in relationship to that saw where you can make a cut that's really positive and serves the end that you're after. All training is like this, isn't it? I mean, musicians in here, right? When you're preparing for a, a, a recital and you're going over your scales and you're going over your, your pieces and, and you're saying to yourself, I'm tired. I, I, ooh, I don't, I don't want to do this. And then, and then you renew your mind and you go, you know, but there's so much joy when I learn the pleasure of playing this piece. It's so satisfying. It's so enjoyable to me that it's worth saying no to other things I could be doing right now, like goofing off on YouTube or running around with my friends. I'm putting in the discipline because of the positive of what I want to become and what I want to be able to do. I'm having to say no to some things and I'm having to say yes to other things, right? That's the nature of discipline. Training in grace is, is, is just like that. You're, you're learning to say no to certain things and you're learning to say yes to certain things. And these are the three, three things he's telling us here that we're going to need to do. You're going to have to leave something behind you're going to have to live for something new, and you're going to have to look forward to a blessed hope. Those are really the three things. You're going to constantly need these if you want to grow in grace. You're going to constantly need these three. You're going to have to leave something behind. You're going to have to look for something, uh, live for something to do, which he gives us here, and you're going to have to look forward to a blessed hope. Those are the three things that you're really going to have to do, and you have to do this all the time in any kind of training. What's, what are you going to leave behind? Notice what he says here. You're going to leave behind ungodliness and worldly passions. That's what you're going to leave behind. He actually uses the word, notice, renounce. You're going to renounce them. Now, when you renounce something, notice the strength of that word. It literally means to deny it. Do you notice that this is the way sin comes in your life? It comes and it promises things to you. It comes and says, listen, if you don't do this thing, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be satisfied. This is the way sin disciples you, tries to disciple you, tries to appeal to your affections, tries to give you premises and conclusions for why this is the right way to do it. If you're reasoning with your flesh and your mind, it's giving you kind of, kind of fodder, so to speak, to train you in the direction of sinfulness. It, and it's, you know, over time, if you keep listening to it, you know what, you know what it, it, it does? It builds a pretty compelling argument. Have you ever tried to do this with sin? You ever tried to reason with your flesh? Or you know, you're like, you're sitting in your house and you're, you're, you're tempted, maybe by the internet, 
you're, you're in a, spar, a little bit of a tenuous moment with your spouse and things are beginning to escalate and you're, you know, you're reasoning with the flesh that's in your mind and it's like, you know, no, she deserves it. You know, really, should she treat you this way? You know, it's about time that you told her the truth. Right? You, you hear these things? Like if you're, really, if you're really pondering it, right? What's it doing? It's discipling you. Your flesh is discipling you. Why? To give into worldly passions and ungodliness. And if you listen to it, you know what you'll find yourself doing? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's a compelling argument. You'll, be, you'll begin to be wooed by it. Notice the word that he says here. He says, when that begins to happen in you, renounce it. Deny it. Cut it off at the knees. I know exactly what it is that you're after. Notice he doesn't say, just don't do it. Did you notice that? Now, he could say that, and he implies that. Does, does, he certainly implies, don't be ungodly, don't give into worldly passions. That's not what he says. What he says is, you're going to have to soulishly renounce it. You're in a very real say, sense saying, listen, I know this voice, and this voice is lying to me, and I will not be a part of it. I will deny it what it's after. It's trying to cultivate me and shape me in a character of this direction, and I am not that person anymore. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I have been bought with a price. My life is no longer my own. I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am made righteous, completely forgiven, destined for eternity and communion with Him. That's who I am. I renounce this in ungodliness. You see that? You see the power of that? Now, why did I go through all of that sort of who I am in Christ, what Christ has done for me, what He's called me to do? What am I doing? Preaching grace to myself. That's grace. Do you know when you are tempted in ungodliness and worldly passions, what you're being tempted to do is not who you are. That is not who you are. I hear people say this. Well, you know, I just have a, I really am. You know, I'm, I'm just a sinner. You're not just a sinner. You're a saint who's been redeemed by Jesus' blood and made righteous. That's who you are. You're a saint who battles sin. You're not just a sinner. Don't lie to yourself. Train yourself in grace. Who are you? You're Christ. You're His. You're righteous. You're redeemed. Where's He taking you? He's going to finish what He started in you. I renounce this. Do you feel the difference of that? How different is that when you go like, oh, I really ought not to do this. Oh, I know I shouldn't do this. Man, I feel like I'm going to do this. If I keep talking like this, I'm going to end up doing it. Right? Because you're not preaching grace to yourself. You're never going to say no to something unless you understand who you are. Unless you understand His grace. His grace is what trains you. Let grace train you. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. You see that difference? And then so you're, you're leaving this behind. You're leaving that behind by preaching grace to yourself. You're, you can say to ungodliness, you know, you're lying to me. You're telling me that this is going to lead to that and it's going to be wonderful. In the end, it's going to be great. And I know that that's not true. 
I renounce this. Because I know who I am in Christ. And so when you say no, notice it's not enough to say no. We all know this. Even, even, this, even the secular gurus of our day know this, right? If you're going to change a habit in your life, it's not saying no to the thing. It's saying what? Yes to something else. It's saying yes to something else. We know that. Why does the human person function that way? Because God made us that way. And notice, grace trains us to leave behind the life that is no longer us. And it leads us to live for the things which God has made us for. Notice the language of the text. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And notice, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, why is that important? Notice he says live. Notice he didn't say choose. That's how we tend to go at it. We tend to think it's a matter of our will. Like if you were to say to yourself today, you know, really, what I need is more discipline in my life. That's what I need. And and typically what we mean is I need more self-will. I need a stronger will. Now, let me, let me tell you, you don't actually need a stronger will. Now, this is going to be somewhat counterintuitive. You don't need a stronger will according to the Bible. You know what you need? A new one. You need a whole new one, you see. The problem is much more severe than you understand. It's not about you learning in flesh to go, no, I don't want to do it, I want to do it. Oh, boy, I gave into it again. That'll never work, you see, because you're using the power of the flesh to try to fight the flesh. And guess what happens? The flesh wins. The flesh wins. You know what you need? You need a whole new will. And that's what grace gives you. That's what grace gives you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me, right? The will of God is at work in me now. The Holy Spirit dwells within me now. What kind of will does the Lord Jesus Christ have? He has a righteous, self-controlled, and godly will, which he has planted in you by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. Yes, you're at war. I know inside of you there's a flesh, what Paul calls the remaining sin, and there is inside of you the impulse to do that which God has called you to do, and those two are battling within you as a spiritual battle, but one of those is actually who you are, and the other one is who you once were, but the once were can get loud and convincing and compelling. Whereas the who you are can be stifled and quiet and mumbling. If what? You're not trained by grace. If you say to yourself, who am I today? I am redeemed is what this text uses, right? Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us. I've been bought. That's what that word means. I've been bought. This is who I am. I'm now in Christ Jesus, fully justified, positionally glorified and sanctified in Jesus. No, I've not yet arrived there, 
But that is already complete and sure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's who I am, and because I know he's graciously made me in this way, I choose to be self-controlled, knowing that's actually who I am in Christ Jesus. It's who I'm becoming in Christ Jesus. It's who I will be in Christ Jesus. We've said this here before at Cornerstone. It's very important to let this sort of settle on you. When you actually choose righteousness and obey God's commands, you're choosing toward who he has destined you to be. You're you're, you're choosing who you are destined to be. When you choose sin, you're working against that which where you're going. That's what you're doing. That's why he gives us a future here. He says, what's your future? Where are your eyes? What are you looking for? I'm looking for the blessed hope. I'm looking, I'm looking for the future. I'm looking to the blessed hope. I'm preaching grace to myself. I'm being trained by grace to learn how to, what I'm not, to learn what I am, and to learn what I hope for. That's really what, what's happening when we're being trained by grace. Now, notice, you're going to lose your way in that, which is why he comes back here at the end to this idea of vision. I was talking to my son yesterday just about, well, it's, you know, it's getting closer to baseball season. We're getting excited. And we're, and we're preparing Right? We're preparing for baseball season. That means practices, right? It means discipline. And it, and it means that you're saying no to certain things that you'd like to do. And saying yes to batting practice. Which in the moment may not be the most exciting thing. But why do you do it? Because spring is coming. And you want to be a good ball player. And you want to win. And you want to have joy on the field. You do it for the hope. Everybody in here is doing that, you understand. Whether it's, whether it's a musician or athlete or, or student, the PhD student who is who's studying for their board examination, that, that PhD student who is up all night and up early every morning is sacrificing you, saying no to so many things, saying yes to a lot of pain in order to hear, Done! To get to this wonderful place of hope and completion. They've set their sights. They're waiting for something. The the word here in in verse 13 of waiting for our blessed hope is literally the the word expectation. It's the word, we would think, awaiting. So it's not like, it's not not you're at the DMV. This is not, you know, you're not waiting in line at the DMV. They're going to take more money than I have. And I I don't, this is terrible. I don't want to be, I don't want to be here. No, this is a groom waiting at the front of the sanctuary for his bride on their wedding day. That's what the kind of waiting this is. The kind, of, the kind of living to something that is the fullness of life. It, all, of your, all of your hopes and all of, all of your dreams are, are in this. You're, you're looking and waiting for that blessed hope. The Christian life is trained by grace when we have our eyes set on the hope that is set before us. The, the blessed, glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ who notice according to this text, saved us for what purpose? That all, we would be redeemed from all lawlessness? 
That we would be purified for himself. That we would be a people for all, for his own possession, who would be zealous for good works. He, he, you know, that we will sometimes say, again, these are the half-truths, you know. Well, God just accepts me for who it is that I am. Hmm. He receives you for who it is that you are. And then he makes you who you're going and ought to be. It's not as simple as that, you see. You, you know why, you know what God has redeemed you to be? Not who you are in this moment. The perfect person that you will one day be. Who will be the treasured possession of him for all time. And he's loving you unto that ultimate end. For the gloriousness of that ultimate end. And when that is really beautiful to you as a believer, that trains you, you see. You know, often our sights are set so low, isn't it? We just want to make it to the end of the week. Make it to the weekend. We just want to get through this trial. We want to somehow limp into retirement. We, we want to survive. Our eyes aren't set on eternity. We're not looking to the blessed hope of the Lord Jesus Christ and His glorious appearing. That's not what's motivating our decision to get up, read the Bible, pray, wash the dishes, serve our family, evangelize our neighbor, do mercy ministry to those who are in need. We're thinking mostly to ourselves, oh, I need to do those things. You know, when you, when you feel that heaviness seep into your soul, that sort of very deeply burdenedness with regards to the good things that the Lord has called you to, notice, just notice you've forgotten the vision of the gospel. Grace is not training you in that moment. Now, you may, one of the, thing, one of the great evidences of maturity in, in someone's life is they're learning to do the things that are good for them even when they don't want to do them. That's really a definition of maturity, (laughs) is that we learn to get up and go to work even when we don't want to get up and go to work. But know that God is not just interested in formal behavior, right? Some of you ended up at worship this morning when really when you got up this morning, you didn't want to come. You didn't want to come. And you came, praise the Lord. But you actually, that's not enough, you see. Because God is not looking for mere behavior. He wants all of you. He wants your your thoughts. He wants your feelings. He wants your desires. He wants your behavior. You know what that means? It means that almost in every moment that you've ever obeyed in life, you've almost always had something to repent of at the same time. I was talking to a, a student this week who was saying, you know, well, I'm just, I, I'm waiting for, you know, I'm really wanting to just, to do this for the Lord. And I just, right now, I'm just, I'm not there. I don't, I just don't, I'm not feeling there, the feeling good towards that. I'm not desiring that. So I'm, I know that God doesn't just want my, me to just go do it and not desire it. He really wants the whole of me. So I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait until all my desires are in line to go do that thing. I was like, you're going to be waiting a long time. Like the rest of your life. If you know that that's what the Lord has called you to do, go do it. And repent for not wanting to do it. As you go do it. And here's what's remarkable if you do that. 
The feelings will come. The desires will come. The joys will come. The strength will come. The Lord actually marries His beautiful, joy-giving, strength-giving, courage-giving presence in the act of obedience. Even when it's incomplete. Oh, and by the way, it's always incomplete. It's, it's where you should be most concerned is when you thought you did it perfectly. You can repent of your self-righteousness for that. That's how grace trains you. That's how grace trains you. Do you notice that in all of these things, grace is leading us to a place where we realize our only hope is in Christ. You're saying, well, you mean in the moments where I thought I did the best, I was in need of God's grace? Yeah. In the moments where I was uh, running away from the Lord, I also needed God's grace? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So it sounds like at all points I'm going to need God's grace. Yes, yes, that's right, that's right, that's right. You're getting it. You're getting it. And so I need grace, don't I, to train me? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Before you, in you, after you, hemming you in on every side. Only by His grace will He train us in godliness. And the wonderful thing is that when we see that and we experience it in that way, we actually do grow. We actually do grow. And the Lord begins to beautify Himself uh, in and through us. And we begin to see Him reveal His witness in and through our lives. And it humbles us. Have you ever met a, a, a beautiful, prideful Christian? No. A, a beautiful Christian is a humble one. Because he or she knows it's all of Christ. Grace has trained them. They know that if they've obeyed, that's God's grace. And when they failed, that's God's grace. He's covered it. And they live pointing to Jesus. Do you know, Paul is saying, Titus, teach sound doctrine. Bring the whole of the counsel of God's truth and gospel in relationship to the whole of God's people's souls in order that the whole of Christ might be made beautiful in the sight of one another and before the world. And Titus, if you do that, well done good and faithful servant. And so friends, this week, let's let grace train us. Catch yourself when you're in that deliberative process with the flesh. Catch yourself when you're dragging and you realize you've lost your way, you've grown weary in doing good. Catch yourself in that moment of habitual sin. Catch yourself in that pride and self-righteousness when you did something right. And train yourself to go back and back and back again to Jesus. For the grace of God has appeared and the glory of God is coming. Let's train ourselves and get ready for Christ's return. Father in heaven, would you by the strength of your spirit truly equip and train us as a congregation, as those who would grow in grace. Help us to understand the discipline of grace. 
how it trains us in saying no, how it trains us in saying yes, how it gives us a vision of hope for the future. Lord, know in the various ways, even right now, that this word is needed in the life of all of us here in this room. And would you not in any way stop short of accomplishing that very end and purpose right now? We give this to you. We commend it to you. Come and surprise us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.